Welcome to another episode of the Illini cast brought to you by fans of the Illini for the fans of the Illini. We're able to do this because of your love and support. So if you got no problems with it, just hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, do us a little favor, helps little channels like us grow. Um, we would be greatly indebted to you. Uh, it's uh, Austin and my goal to hit 100 subscribers by the end of the calendar year. So we have uh, about five, six weeks left. So if you can help us out on that regards, we'd really, really appreciate it. Um, today, Austin is en route to Kansas City for Thanksgiving for the holidays. So happy holidays to Austin and happy holidays to all of you listening to this. Um, I'm going to basically start us off talking about that Iowa game, that oh-so-close Iowa game, uh, then we're going to bring on a very special guest. We'll do a little preview of the Big Ten. We'll talk about the game, and uh, you know, we'll talk about whatever else comes to mind. So we appreciate your patience, and let's just get started. Uh, the big news, obviously, was uh, released yesterday. Uh, Jerzon Newton, Keith Randolph. Oh, wait, no, actually, we're going to start with the Iowa Iowa postgame. Let's start with that first. Um, there's a lot of pissed off people on Illini Twitter. A lot of people think that uh, we gave that game away. A lot of people very upset. And I'm not saying that I disagree with that. Um, I think we had the game. But I was also kind of watching that game with a held breath because I knew Iowa does what it does, and they're just waiting for the mistake. And that's just kind of what they did on that final drive. We had those two defensive penalties. We gave them extra yardage. And when you give Iowa that opening, when you give them that extra yardage, they're always going to capitalize. That's just what the Iowa Hawkeyes do. And a lot of people are upset. You know, that makes us one in four uh, against what's arguably the worst division in college football history. And, you know, from a macro point of view, I agree. That looks very bad. Um, but not everything is about the macro view. Sometimes you have to look, uh, you know, context matters. Those first couple of games against, uh, Purdue, Nebraska, you know, those are embarrassing. And those, I think we all wish we could play again today because I feel confident that would be, would be at least a touchdown favorite against Purdue. And I don't even know what that disaster against Nebraska, that Friday night game on ESPN. I have no idea what happened there. But our season has turned around since then, um, especially, you know, no one expected us to win against Maryland. And we were clearly the better team uh, in that game. We outplayed Wisconsin for three quarters the next game. And then, of course, uh, Jerzon Newton gets ejected uh, for that, I'll say, questionable call. Uh the targeting call and, you know, Maryland scores 18 straight points and they overcome and they win, you know, un unfortunate for us. We can't just be a Newton ejection away from losing. Granted, I, I get that, but I'm just saying we performed very well that game. Uh, we come back, we beat Minnesota. Uh, we're, you know, thankfully, you know, John Paddock comes in in that fourth, uh, fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, goes three for three, 88 yards. And uh, of course we, Everyone saw the Indiana game, which was just, uh, you know, the opposite of what you kind of expect a Big Ten game to be. Now, a lot of people didn't like my takes after that Iowa game where I said I wasn't really that pissed off. And let me kind of tell you why. When we hired Brett Bielema uh, a little less than three years ago now, our 
goals, our aspirations on a best case scenario was that we wanted to reach the Minnesota tier. We wanted to be right there with the Iowa's, the top teams in the Big Ten West. We That's who we wanted to compete with. We wanted to contend for that Big Ten West title. What we've basically done for the last four or five weeks is been arguably the best team in the Big Ten West. I guess you can say second best because Iowa just beat us head to head, but it was in Kinnick Stadium. And that's kind of my point. Here we were on Saturday night playing in Kinnick Stadium against a team that was nine and eight and two at the time, eight and two or nine and two. Um, we had we were winning the game for the better part of the game. And it took Iowa at the end with one of those Iowa plays, which they always do to come through and, you know, ultimately snatch a uh, victory from us. We were down running backs. You know, at one point we had a converted linebacker come in to play running back. Uh, you know, Caden Fagan is gone. So John Paddock, as hot as he was, he was forced to throw that ball 47 times on Saturday. Throwing 47 times against Iowa, that's telling one of the best defenses in the country that you're basically telegraphing your offense. And Phil Parker, that's just, you're handing him candy at that point. So for me, I was ultimately kind of looking at the micro big picture in the sense that we've competed with every in every single game for the last four or five weeks. I think if the season started against Maryland, and right now we had five more weeks, we would be in contention for the Big Ten West. Obviously, a bunch of what-ifs. That's just not how this thing's worked. But what I saw on Saturday was uh, the fighting Illini go toe-to-toe with clearly the best team in the Big Ten West in Kinnick Stadium, where, you know, by the after halftime, that it was nighttime out there in Iowa at night in Kinnick Stadium is one of the toughest places you're going to play in all of college football. So again, that's where I come from. Uh, I know a lot of people don't agree with me, which is completely fine. Please leave some comments. Uh, if you do agree, agree with me, don't agree with me. Um, this next game is going to be vital. Uh, obviously now we're kicking ourselves more for losing that game to Northwestern or sorry to Purdue and um, Nebraska. Cause now Bowl eligibility is going to come down to the last game of the season against, you know, the surprise of the college football season. So I just want to get that off my chest, get that out. It's I'm good. I'm clearing. I'm moving on. And uh, what I'm going to do is bring on a very special guest. Uh, let's bring him on right now. Jackson Johnson. Um, if you follow college football at all, on YouTube. It's just a matter of time before this young fella shows up on your algorithm because he's on every single show, uh, seemingly every single day that I see. So it's an honor, Jackson, for you to come on to Illini Cast. Oh, thank you for having me on it. It's an honor that you asked me to come on Illini Cast. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, you know, with Austin uh, not in town, you know, I just wanted someone who I can banter back and forth with. And if there's one thing I know, uh, you know, you know, your college football, uh, you're more of a national guy, but, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a national opinion, too, and not have the show be so uh, Illinois or Big Ten centric. Um, Jackson, can you at least let my followers know right now, uh, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. They can find me on Instagram and they can find me on YouTube 
facebook.com slash at Jackson Johnson 979. I am 248 subs away from getting to 500, and I'm more than one-fourth of the way to getting to 1,000. So you'll, you'll see some pretty good content on there as well, but um, I, I may not know all that much about Illinois and not like this guy next to me, but I'm learning. <laughs> No, no, you're, I'm not worried about that at all. Definitely give this guy uh, a follow. Again, he 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 does great work on YouTube. Um, you know, he's going to show up uh, constantly. He's one of the brighter stars of college football YouTube, in my opinion. Um, Jackson, let's start off. It's going to be an Illinois-centric topic, but the question I'm going to ask you is not really uh, just based on Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, so Keith Randolph, Jazan Newton, uh, they both – Uh, announced yesterday that they're going to be going to play in the NFL next year. Um, Isaiah Williams, our wide receiver, said he's currently undecided on whether he wants to come back for his sixth season. Um, Should he do so, he's going to basically own every Illinois wide receiver uh, record. So hopefully Illinois fans can uh, sign up with Icon, which is Illinois' NIL uh, program and, you know, can conjure up the funds to get Isaiah Williams to stay. But uh, back to Newton and Randolph. Newton had said that should Illinois beat Northwestern on Saturday and make a bowl game, that he's going to sit out the bowl game. Keith Randolph says he's right now he's undecided on what he wants to do with the bowl game. And once that announcement was made, uh, folks got angry. Um, folks, you know, and this happens pretty much every year. And this is not obviously not with just Illinois players. Like whenever prominent players decide that they're going to sit out the bowl game to kind of secure their future for the NFL draft and not risk getting hurt. Um, the fans who may not quite understand, they start attacking the player. You know, you have people asking to return scholarships and this and that. So Jackson, I'm curious, like, where do you stand on all this? Uh, you know, players just who, you know, have successful seasons, successful careers and decide to not play in the bowl game. You know, I, I think back to the 2016 Fiesta Bowl when Ohio State and Notre Dame played each other. And there's this guy at Notre Dame named Smith, and he was first round material. But they ain't got hurt in the Fiesta Bowl. And, and I think a lot of these guys are thinking, you know, I don't want my draft stock dropping down like Mr. Smith did. And I'll be honest, when I was younger, I used to get pretty mad at players that didn't want to play in the bowl game. But as I've gotten older, I'm just kind of like, you know, they have families to look after. They got their their siblings. They got their parents. They got their wife and kids, you know, they got to look after those around them and not just themselves. They got their own futures as well. So I don't blame the players for wanting to sit out the bowl game. And plus it gives more experience to the second stringers and third stringers on the, on the roster. Yeah. That's kind of where I come from. You know, now I'm uh, you know, I'm a little older than you. Like, you know, I'm a dad of two and like, for me, I kind of understand, like, I don't know, I'm just going to use our two players like uh, as examples. I don't know Drazon Newton and uh, Keith Randolph's familial situation. I don't know if they come from money or this or that, but Drazon Newton has brought in an incredible amount of value to the Illinois brand over his entire career here uh, playing football for us. You know, he's been a man on the mission. He's, you know, a finalist for almost every single defensive award uh, this year. He could have gone to the draft last year. I was actually 
shocked that he decided to come back to play football this year. Pleasantly shocked, of course. And now this year, I'm seeing mock drafts with him in the top 20. Uh, you know, wow. one of the first defensive tackles taken. I think he should be a top 10 pick, personally. And to pass up that kind of generational money, I mean, you're talking about huge multi-million, you know, seven-figure bonus money there for what happens to be like overall, you know, let's be honest, what are bowl games now if you're not in the top tier? They're just kind of glorified exhibition games. You know, like I would argue the 15 extra practices that you're awarded is more valuable than the actual game itself. So for me, when I kind of look at it from the big picture, you know, you know, we see what happened with Devin Witherspoon last year. You know, he had a fantastic senior year. He shot up the draft boards. He also didn't play the bowl game. And guess what? He went fourth overall to the Seattle Seahawks. And now he's one of the front runners to become the defensive rookie of the year. Now, like, how can I blame Jerzon Newton? Like, what if he gets hurt in a meaningless bowl game? All of a sudden, his, you know, draft stocks falls from top 20 to third, fourth, or, you know, worst case out of the draft if it's a serious injury. It's just, if Jerzon Newton was my son, this is the exact advice I would give him. Does that make exactly. sense? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you don't want another situation of Matt Corral from the 2022 Sugar Bowl. And, and plus, the naysayers, they're mad at the players for wanting to not not play in the ball game. I, I'll say this. Maybe they should be in like a Freaky Friday situation. Just kind of switch lives with them. Then come back and tell us what they should do, what they shouldn't do, honestly. Yeah, it's very easy to be a keyboard warrior, you know, but... Uh, yeah. Or, or a couch warrior. Right, right. You know, and, uh, but, you know, like you the said, beer. Freaky Friday situation, it's their son in that position. And, you know, uh, in eight months, you're staring at a $12 million signing bonus check. You know, it's like, uh, you know what, just go ahead and sit out. That, that That's my personal opinion. That's true. Um, moving on, let's go ahead and talk about, apparently, you know, it's rivalry week in the Big Ten, as, you know, you're well aware um some pretty big games going on uh actually you know what i had another topic come to mind if you don't mind uh jackson uh i don't know if you've heard rumors but uh supposedly jonathan smith has been targeted by michigan state for the head coaching job wow Um, now before we get into that i had a question which i've been asking i asked our twitter account uh, from our Twitter account, and I'm asking, you know, uh, media personalities in the Big Ten um, sphere. Let's just say Tom Allen gets let go. Let's say uh, UCLA fires Chip Kelly. I know with the win against USC, that may not happen now. But let's just say for the sake of this argument that he gets let go. So you have three job openings. You have UCLA, Michigan State and you have Indiana. How would you rate the three jobs attractiveness in order? Well, I'd rank UCLA number one because they got that LA market. And you know, if you know how to recruit in California, you're good to go. And second, you got Michigan State. And I, I feel like it's a pretty hard job, but then again, Somebody forgot to tell that to Mark D'Antonio, which he did a magnificent job over there. 
And third of all is Indiana, which historically they have not done so hot. I mean, the, the only good year I can really find is the COVID year from 2020. And I remember 2007 where they were bowl eligible for the first time since the 90s. Holy cow, that was a memorable moment. Yeah, I think we both can agree on Indiana being the third best. Uh, you know, we can just they're going to be punished in the next few years. It's going to be tough, but you know, hopefully, you know, Illinois is not in the same position. But you know, it, it, but that just shows you I how. Can't work. Yeah, I can't you how look at the this, higher, this next hire is going to be for Indiana. Um, so let's just get that out of the way. We agree, Indiana's number three. And at first thought, I actually agreed with you uh, that UCLA being in that market was the number one job. But the more I kind of just thought about it to myself and I started digging around some of the stats, I think a lot of what the attractiveness of a job is, is your ability to win a national championship, you know, at college football playoff or national championship. And, you know, you just brought up Mike uh, D'Antoni from, what was it, 2009. You know, they finished third in the entire country. They, you know, they, they've actually been to the college football playoff. You know, some people tend to forget about that, but they've actually been there. Yep, 2015. And it seems like eons ago, but even Mel Tucker in 2021 had them ranked as high as third in the college football playoff rankings. And... UCLA, uh, you know, looking at them, like they haven't reached that level. Um, you know, and I think I saw like under Carl Durrell, I've, I've got to look at this again. Um, oh, they disappointed everybody in 2007 in that last season with Carl Durrell. Right. Like you're talking like they're looking at, you know, their highs are is usually on the seventh ranked you know, 10th rank, you know, I'm looking at uh, all seasons since 2004, the highest they've finished is seventh. You know, you, I see a bunch of sevens there, a bunch of nine. And I, I agree with you about the LA market, but how I feel like that LA market is kind of all swallowed up by USC. Yep. And the Dodgers and the Rams and the Lakers, Lakers, Lakers you know, uh, there's just, I don't, when I think of UCLA, football in particular like you know i don't see a rowdy fan base and this is easy for me to say you know yeah, the home really base, the, yeah the home field advantage isn't that exactly intimidating we learned that against arizona state this year and arizona uh -huh. last year exactly right so like i just don't know if the rabid fan base is there for ucla to really count on the la market i think michigan state their alums their fans they care. They want to beat Michigan so badly. You know, they've got donors. Uh, what's his name? Matt Ishba, the, you know, the guy who's been kind of bankrolling them for the last uh, decade or so. Now he's the new owner of the uh, Phoenix Suns. They have money and they have fan support. And based on their history of being able to at one point be in the top three in the college football playoff rankings uh, in the last decade, twice. They've done it twice. Kind of made me think that Michigan State might actually be the more overall attractive job. What do you think? I could see that. Like with the home field advantage, you know, UCLA not having that much of a home field advantage. 
But I will say for Michigan State, it'll be much tougher to compete in the Big Ten once USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington arrive. Now, I'm not saying they can't be able to do what Mark D'Antonio did, but I'm saying it's going to be tougher for East Lansing. But it'll also be tougher for UCLA to now have to deal with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, um, at least for UCLA and Michigan State, we're kind of comparing apples to apples there. True. But uh, yeah, I just wanted your opinion on it. You know, I, I think it's an interesting topic. I wanted to kind of get it out there before, um, you know, Michigan State makes a potential hire just because I thought it was you know something interesting to talk about. But oh, uh, watching Michigan State UCLA as a conference game. I mean, I, I wonder if, if there's a lot of uh, historians that remember the 65 regular season matchup and the 66 Rose Bowl where UCLA spoiled Michigan State's natty hopes that year. I don't even know what you're talking about. In fact, this is what I mean, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Jackson knows a lot about college football. He, you know, he, he's a must follow if you're a fan of the sport. Um, but uh, you know, moving it. on, if you're a fan of the sport, everyone knows that there's one massive game uh, upcoming on Saturday. Let's just get that one out of the way. It's Michigan. It's Ohio State. I think this is going to break every single television record uh, in the history of college football, um, including what was it, 2007? I think when there were one and two, essentially fighting for 2006. Yeah, uh, fighting for essentially the national championship at that point. Um, we all know about you know Jim Harbaugh, the, the Stallions, the, you know all that shenanigans, and you know that's been going on and dominating the airwaves for the last five, six weeks now. And now finally, we get to see what happens on the field on Saturday. Um, last check, Michigan was a three and a half point favorite. Um, that's moved down from uh, about a month ago. About a month ago when I checked, it was around seven and a half. So, obviously, Michigan, Michigan's playing okay. Ohio State, I feel like, is kind of getting better every single week. And uh, with uh, Harbaugh out, you know, I think that's what kind of has brought the line down um, pretty significant, significantly. So, I'm curious, Jackson. Like, uh, I don't know. It's up to you whether you want to make a prediction or not. But uh, otherwise, let's just... Give us a preview. What's your opinion on the match? Well, I'll get. I'll give a little quick preview. Um, the red zone offense is going to be key. Now, Michigan is 50th in the red zone on offense, and Ohio State is 60th on the red zone offense. Now, I have a feeling both of these schools have, have been waiting for this game to bring out the best. And what I think is going to happen is you're going to see this game go to four overtimes. And it's going to be a Michigan 31-29 victory. Four overtimes. And if you I, get this prediction right, you know you're going to go viral, right? Like, we're going to post that all over social media and let the guy who predicted four overtimes for the game. You're going to get you're going to get your 250 subs or get to 1,000 immediately if you get that one right. Well, I hope so. But, I mean, knowing how, how this rivalry works, it's going to be tough. I mean... It, they they both bring their bring the best out. I mean, it, it's this is a win or go home game for Michigan because if they lose, that's it for them. As for Ohio State, I got a feeling they just need a lot of luck to get in if they lose. But if they win, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, no, I mean, I can see that. Um, 
it would be a lot of luck, but uh, you know, I, I there is a path for Ohio State. Um, should a couple different teams um, lose this upcoming weekend? Now, usually, um, you know, some people know uh, my wife is a Buckeye. Uh, she graduated from uh, Ohio State, so usually when I watch this game, I have a slight bias towards Ohio State. Um, but I can say for sure this Saturday that I'm completely neutral because uh, seeing the vitriol and just how both fan bases have been going at it. Uh, Sorry, also, Mrs. Verma. I, I don't, I'm just, <laughs> this is business. Sorry. Exactly. This is business. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough for me. Like on one hand, of course, you know, I'd like to see Ohio State come through with the victory and, you know, just to get the monkey off their back. You know, I like Ryan Day. I think he's getting cheated out of, the, out of the hole. If he loses three times in a row, he should be fired. I think that's ridiculous for a coach who wins 90 plus percent uh, of his games for you. But on the other hand, you know, with everything that we know about Michigan, like, you know, there's a lot of Ohio State fans who are saying the only reason we lost the last two week, uh, years is because of uh, Michigan cheating, Michigan cheating. There's some kind of poetry where if Michigan comes in this year and just beats the bejesus out of them again, like 41-17 or 37-14, you know, something like that, where there'll be so much, you know, crawling back tail between your legs from Ohio State fans that from my neutral perspective would kind of just be entertaining to watch. So this is the first time in years, at least since my wife graduated, that, you know, I've, I'm not going to pick a side um, at all. But uh, in order to make a prediction, uh, both have awesome defenses, incredible defenses. Um, I actually think this game is going to come down to who plays better, J.J. McCarthy or McCord. I think whichever quarterback has a better game, that team ends up winning. Uh, obviously, J.J.'s, I think, clearly the more talented quarterback, but he's struggled the past couple of weeks. And, you know, if you follow J.R. from the Big Ten huddle, he loves to uh, noted Ohio State fan, I might add. He loves to show all the stats of that JJ's accumulated in games where uh, Connor, Connor or Stallions uh, supposedly is not associated to the scouting like that particular game. Uh, those numbers are drastically lower than the ones that Stallions did scout. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I think ultimately the game being in Ann Arbor. I think Michigan wins this game and I think it's going to be a little higher scoring than a lot of people are saying. I know both defenses are amazing, but I just think this game is different. The energy of this game is different. Like the, especially in particular, the Michigan players they've got, I feel like they have so much that they want to let loose on uh, the Scarlet and gray. So I'm going to go with, a 35 to 21 victory by the Wolverines and which was just going to shut Ohio state fans up uh, pretty, you know, embarrassingly. And the rest of us will uh, kind of enjoy, uh, you know, that car accident on the side of the road, you know, just trying to drive by slowly and look at all the wreckage. Uh, <laughs> 
All right. Uh, next game. Uh, I'm just going to list games in order of what I deem as importance is uh, let's do the Black Friday, Iowa and Nebraska. That's going to be, I don't know what the word is, not an amazing game, but you know we're talking about an over-under, which at some point earlier today was down to 25. I think it has shot up to 25 and a half now. But uh, what do you think? Like, uh, you know, Iowa, Nebraska, Nebraska, I think was favored by a point and a half. I was already clinched the Big Ten West, yeah. so they could be resting their players. I That doesn't seem like a very Iowa thing to do. But uh, what are your thoughts on that game? I'll be honest. I've been shot by Nebraska's collapse, but I think they, they're still kind of cursed by Scott Frost. But I have a feeling the Scott Frost curse ends on Black Friday with a 17-14 victory. Why? The running game of Nebraska. It's 20 sits in the nation. I believe it's going to get the job done for Nebraska. As for Iowa, that offense is going to come close, but no cigar. And uh, Nebraska may have found their quarterback. I thought Chubba Purdy did you know, pretty well um, in their last game. Uh, Anybody they- but Jeff Sims. Oh yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked to see him uh, wearing a Nebraska uniform um, in next year. So, what other games? So Friday night we also have Penn State and Michigan State. Um, I can't imagine this game being too close. Uh, what do you think? Well, I know Top Blackledge is going to be pretty happy because he's calling his alma mater on Black Friday. I got a feeling this is going to be an annual occurrence where we see not one but two Black Friday games for the Big Ten. I just hope next year they put like Wisconsin, Minnesota, or Washington, Oregon. But I digress. This is going to be a butt whipping. And it's going to be 42 17 Penn State as they get out the belt and clinch a near sits bid. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, this game is pretty much over by halftime. And Penn State tries to run the ball in the second half, just tries to get through the game healthy. I'll say 31-10 Penn State. Oh, man. Um, I will say it's pretty exciting to see a November night game on Rivalry Week for the Big Ten. I'm so excited about it, and especially on Black Friday. Right, Black Friday is my favorite holiday. I I didn't realize until I was 15 that, Black Friday was a shopping day. I thought it was a college football holiday. Honestly, we just watched college <laughs> No, I yeah, I you know it, I've always known Thanksgiving as the Egg Bowl, which is one of my favorite traditions. So you know, I'm definitely looking forward to that tomorrow. But uh, you know, I could definitely get into the habit of uh, watching more of uh, Big Ten football on Friday nights. There we go. Ah, sweet. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. We have what I perceive as the toilet bowl. Um, we have Indiana and Purdue. Um, yeah, that is. I don't know if Tom Allen can really salvage his job at this point, uh, but I, I feel like he needs to. It's going to be really hard for an Indiana football program to tell its fans that, you know, we finished, what, three and nine this season, losing our last three games and losing our rivalry game uh, to a Purdue team, which many consider the worst in the Big Ten. It's going to be tough to kind of sell that to a fan base. What do you think? 
I think I think the writing's on the wall. The Tom Allen era is over. Black Sunday is coming in Bloomington, Indiana for Mr. Allen. And I think Purdue's gonna basically put Indiana out of its misery with a twenty eight to twenty four victory. Oh wow. Okay, so yeah, it's pretty high scoring. I think you know, I guess have they announced anything on a Hudson card? Do you know if he's playing or not? Not yet. I have no clue what, what's going on with Mr. Card. Okay, I think, you know, if Hudson Card plays, you know, not many people are paying attention to Purdue just because they haven't been performing really well and they've got a lot of people hurt. But, you know, they've, looking at their stats, they've kind of established an identity as a, a pretty good running team. They've got a pretty good scheme uh, put together. They've got a couple running backs. Um, I think, you know what, I, I like Tom Allen. He's a really nice guy. I don't know if he's a very good I don't think he's a very good head coach. I think he's an outstanding defensive coordinator. So I'm going to be nice. Uh, I, I think he's going to lose his job regardless. So let's send him off with a victory. So I'll just say 35-28 Indiana. And Tom Allen gets to, you know, go off to the sunset and, you know, get the – if I were UCLA or, or sorry, USC or someone, I would – consider just throwing him a huge bag of money and he's familiar with you know big 10 offenses already he's been coaching here for so long um i think that would be an a plus hire for um usc as defensive coordinator it would be but uh next we have wisconsin at minnesota oh Any man that game's gonna be fun yeah you know, when I look back at this game, I remember Wisconsin dominated it from 2004-2017, but since P.J. Flett's second year, Minnesota is 3-2 and two against Wisconsin. And the question is, can P.J. Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers continue the dominance against Wisconsin? And one other thing's on the line. Ball eligibility. I want to say Minnesota's going to win. I really want to because I love P.J. Fleck. But I'd, I have to say it's going to be a 24-21 victory for Wisconsin. And Minnesota, unfortunately, is not going to a ball game. I will say that Iowa game has really gone to Minnesota's head. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, I think these are, you know, pretty two evenly matched teams. Uh, you know, you're – you're not going to find many Big Ten people uh, outside Minnesota fans who share your opinion on PJ Fleck. The rest, of, the rest of us kind of find him uh, annoying, but I think the row the boat works on Saturday. I think uh, because the game's at home, that they're able to eke it out. I think I think there's some issues with Wisconsin. I, I think Luke Fickle was an amazing hire. Um, I think it's a you know it's still a good hire, but. You know, all the articles I've been reading over the last couple weeks, you know, a lot of players worn out. There's going to be a lot of change uh, in the offseason. I just think that program right now is kind of in disarray. So I think I'm just going to go with the safer team, and that's going to be, uh, you know, Minnesota at home. And I'll just say 24-14 uh, Minnesota. That's good prediction right there. But I will say I wish people – would just kind of cut Luke Fickle some slack. Don't I mean if it's his fifth year, then okay, it's okay to say the air raid's not working. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on a first year coach. Don't do that. I always yeah, hate it when people do that. It's ridiculous. Uh, 
the next game is Maryland at Rutgers. Um, I think this is going to be a sneaky good game. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's uh, Maryland. They're such a Jekyll and Hyde team. You know, we start off 5-0. and They're competing with Ohio State for the first half, and then they kind of get blown out the second half, and then they just go kind of on a nosedive. They play, a, you know, both Illinois teams, and, uh, you know, they – come out on the losing end and then they compete with Michigan last week you know in what was a game that was a lot closer than anyone would have predicted so and Rutgers is Rutgers you know Rutgers was one of the surprise teams of the country the first seven weeks of the season and you know they've already clinched bowl eligibility what do you think I will be honest I mean there's a reason I called Maryland the Syracuse of the Big Ten they, they tend to forget how to play football after they play Ohio State. And yeah, it, might it, it seems like they it, really step up for the big, big teams, you know, the Ohio State and uh, Michigan. And then everyone else, they're just like they've expended all their energy on the two big teams that they just kind of play to the level of everyone else uh, after that. And I will say, if Mike Loxley doesn't watch himself, he's going to wind up like Dino Babers real soon. So he better quit that collapsing, Huey. I mean, luckily for him, they're not having Ohio State next year. But I did look at their schedule. It, it looks pretty easy. And then they'll probably have, like, their great first half against USC and then fall apart and forget how to play football afterwards. But I think Maryland's going to lose a tight one to Rutgers, 24-21. to 21. I think – I actually think I agree with that. I'm going to say Rutgers wins – uh, 21, 17 and, uh, Maryland has a lot of questions, you know, like Mike Loxley, you can, he can recruit and he can beat up on cupcakes. But at some point, as you were talking about Maryland Terrapins fans have to kind of decide what they want the ceiling of their program to be, uh, you know, are they good content with, you know, seven, eight wins a year, um, are they even going to be able to get that seven, eight wins a year next year when we get the influx of the teams from out West? So, you know, they've got a lot of decisions to make. Um, speaking of decisions to make, I think we're down to the last game and the last game, of course, being the Illinois and Northwestern uh, game. I'm going to save my prediction for a future uh, podcast I'm having with the, the Wilds chat. Um, the Northwestern uh, podcast uh, partner of the Big Banter Network. But, Jackson, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the game. Well, I will say I'm pretty impressed with how Northwestern, with what they've accomplished this season with David Braun. I mean, I don't want to call it early, but that's my coach of the year for the Big Ten right there. And they did, they did good hiring him. And Illinois, I hate that they've collapsed, but I mean, I wasn't expecting them to compete for the Big Ten West again, but fighting for bowl eligibility. Sorry, Illinois Nation, but I don't I don't think you're gonna have another year like this next year. It should be better. But I do believe you guys can clinch bowl eligibility with a thirty one to twenty four victory over Northwestern. That's what I love to hear. That's, you know, it's a, it's going to be a huge game for us. Uh, you know, I agree with you. Uh, you know, but on a, a, through another lens, uh, this was a clear rebuilding year for Illinois. We lost, uh, you know, three 
key guys in our secondary in the top 70 picks in the NFL draft. And for a rebuilding transition year for Illinois to be able to make a bowl game, win six games, um, that's unheard of for someone like me who's been an Illinois fan for, you know, a little over a decade now. Um, I'll take that. You know, if that's kind of our floor from this point moving forward, considering what our floor used to be, which is like, you know, two, three wins and just blowouts uh, every week. I think I'll take, uh, you know, a, a six win season every now and then. <laughs> there you go. Well, I do have one question. Was last sure. season better or was 2007 when y'all beat Ohio State with Juice Williams better? It's got to be uh, beating uh, Ohio State. That that year okay. had so much energy. It was talked about so much. You know, like last year, obviously, we all love the 7-1 start, but we kind of faltered at the end. You know, um, uh, it was a team that just wasn't ready for the spotlight yet. Yeah. And it kind of showed. Um, so, you know, I... Both teams had some amazing players on on it. Uh, both teams had a player named Isaiah Williams on it, which which is kind of funny if you think about it. But uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I can't imagine it's going to be hard for a team to pass um, that 2007 team in like uh, from an Illini perspective of like you know just how much we kind of just loved and we that season was just magical. Oh man. That that was pretty historic, man. Especially y'all going to Rose Bowl. That was awesome. Yeah, exactly. That it's uh, the last time we've been to Rose Bowl. But uh, all right, to wrap things up, Jackson, can you once again uh, tell my fine listeners and followers where they can find you uh, on the internet? Well, they can find me at Twitter at Jackson zero nine nine six zero three three five. And they can find me at Instagram at Jackson Johnson 543908 and on YouTube.com slash at Jackson Johnson 979, where you can find some of my Jacksonian episodes, some of my random reactions of some of the latest games in all college football and NFL and so on and so forth. Of course, you can see me run my mouth on threads and Twitter every now and again and a little bit on Instagram. Thank you again so much, Jackson, for joining us. Uh, thank thank you, you for having me on. Of course. Uh, thank you to the Illini cast listeners for the downloads, the viewerships. Again, every single one counts. Please share this with uh, all your Illini friends and family and, you know, college football friends and family. And, you know, every little subscription helps us towards our goal, towards 100. Um that's enough for this episode. Uh, we're going to release the Northwestern preview episode in the next day or two as well. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>